You are awesome because you're here this morning. I mean, you'd still be awesome if you weren't, but I think you're awesome for showing up on a long weekend where it's cold and where it's raining. You came to church, but it wasn't a choice, was it? You'd already decided that you were coming to church, right? Before you saw what the weather was doing, you decided this was the place you want to be. God bless you for that. Hey, well, it's great to be together. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking on this series called Multiply. And today, surprisingly, is part three, because we've done two. Clever, eh? If I get nothing else right in my entire message, I got that bit right. Our desire is to see the influence of God's kingdom increase and for opportunities for people to find hope in Christ multiply. That's our heart. The core of this series is actually Matthew 28, where Jesus leaves his church with a mandate to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's what we carry in our heart. That's the vision of our church is actually Matthew 28, the mandate that Christ left us with to make disciples. And you wonder what vision is. That's the vision. There are people out there that need to know the truth of who Jesus is, and we want to take every opportunity to get the truth into their hands. In fact, that's the forefront of the vision of the church globally. Well, at least it should be. See, we're called undoubtedly to love and bless God's people. I love the gathered church because we get to join together. We get to love each other. We get to bless one another and we get together. And I love that absolutely. And that is vital. And that is God's plan. But as God's people, we are each commissioned to make disciples to influence lives, and to lead people to Jesus. As a church, as we stretch ourselves to plant a second location, that remains the vision, to influence more people and lead them to Jesus. Is that a good vision? I think it's a great vision. And that's my story. And maybe that's lots of your stories here in this room today. There were people who influenced me, and in the end led me to Jesus, and I'll be forever grateful. But the influence came through genuinely loving me, engaging in my life, which, for the record, if you know the story, was pretty messy life. These people loved me. Not only did they love me on Sunday, they engaged in my life. And I think that's pretty incredible. And in the end, I found Jesus. And I want that story to continue to multiply and grow and increase. We've each been a part of the multiplication of Christ's church. Did you realize that? Not Christ's church, Christ's church. We've been a part of the increase because of a previous generation's faithfulness to influence and reach out to us with the truth of who Jesus is. And so in thinking through that process and thinking that each generation commends his works to another and each generation passes on the truth of Jesus and we're a part of a multiplying church across the planet. I want to go back to the beginning of the book. I want us to look this morning into Genesis and see if we can see this idea of multiplication, multiplication introduced. Did I get that word right? The word Genesis is a transliteration of the Greek word which means source or origin. In the Hebrew, it means in the beginning. So can we see multiplication in the beginning? 
Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 20 and 22. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing within, with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. In a few verses later, we see Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I love this about God the creator because he also in those verses brings order. In other words, I didn't create the man first and animals later. They were actually created the other way around, but I bring order to it, which is to tell man that the order is you have authority over all of the living creatures. You are to rule over them and to subdue them. God's command to his creation was to be fruitful and increase in number. This is the plan of God for mankind. And though this relates to having family, the design of God is that his creation would be fruitful and increase. And yet I know that we're in a world where it's a broken world that we live in and everyone is not afforded the opportunity to have biological children. That's why I love that God doesn't leave parenting just to biological parents, but he enables us all to be spiritual mums and dads or adoptive parents and places us in church families to be a part of the growth and increase in many more lives than just our natural children. I love that about God. And God reestablishes the truth of increase with Noah post the flood. Look at Genesis 9 verse 7. He says this, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. I would suggest to you this morning that multiplication is God's idea. And anything birthed of God in its design is planned to multiply and increase. I believe with all my heart that includes the church. The church is birthed of God. And Jesus is the head of the church. And by design, the church's destiny is to multiply and increase and move forward. It's how the kingdom of God is extended throughout the earth. Bring that same idea into the business birthed by God. Your family, your marriage, God's design, God's plan, God births it. Your destiny is to see increase and not to see decrease. And yet since the beginning of time, the enemy has been trying to kill anything that is born of God. He doesn't want to see the multiplication of what God has brought into being. He wants to see it decrease, and ultimately his plan is to see it die. The enemy hates the church, particularly the church that is passionate about increasing the size of its family by being outward focused. He hates that church. He hates the church that goes to work on Monday with workmates' destinies 
on their mind. He hates the church that goes to family gatherings with the salvation of family members in their heart. He hates the church that gets involved in every sphere of society with a heart's desire to bring about hope and transformation. He hates the church that believes it is more active on Monday because that is a church that knows who Jesus Christ is and has a revelation that he is the Messiah and he would never be confined to the walls of a gathered church. And the devil hates that church. And you wonder why you have opposition and you have people against you when you step out into your workplace or into your family or you go to your sports team with a heart that they would know Jesus. And you wonder why it's difficult because the devil hates the church that is others focused. He wants us to think this is where it begins and ends, just within the walls of church. He doesn't like it when the church decides we'll be more active tomorrow because of what Sunday represented for us. Matthew 16, verse 15 to 18. We see the truth of this, but what about you? Jesus is asking Simon Peter. He says, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. There's the revelation. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. This is, the, this is the promise. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's God's heart that we, the church, would increase and grow and multiply on the earth. It's not God's heart that we would maintain or stay the same. It's certainly not God's plan or his heart that the church would get smaller And that's why I love the vision of Matthew 28, because nothing about Matthew 28 is saying get smaller. Nothing about it is saying decrease. Everything about it is saying increase, multiply, make disciples, reach people with the truth of who Jesus is. In every corner of the planet, the church is designed to grow and increase and multiply. Matthew 28 helps us to be others-focused and outward looking, and not become inward focused and insular in our thinking. Now, we're not perfect. Heck, I'm not perfect. I think you've picked that up. By all means, you're not perfect. Is that good news today? Did you come to church to be told you weren't perfect? You're not. None of us are perfect. We're all flawed. We've all got faults. We've all got things going on that are broken inside of us. We've all got wrong thinking. We've all got actions that aren't necessarily God glorifying or God honoring. We're all a work in progress. We're all a work under construction. We're all in the process of becoming more like Jesus. That's true for every one of us. And I love it because we're in good company together. But when we have an understanding of God's vision out of Matthew 28 to make disciples, the thing we can get right is we know the vision is right And the motive is correct. And that's the place where we should put our energy and our effort. On this topic of multiply, I want to look at a passage this morning in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 1 to 7. Perhaps you've heard this story many times. Perhaps this is the first time you ever heard it. We're going to read from verse 1 through 7. 
The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, do you need to understand, Elisha had a ministry where he had raised a school of prophets. And so that's what we hear about when we hear about the company of prophets. This wife cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And now you know that he revered the Lord. No, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. Here we see this incredible story of a widow who's just tragically lost her husband. As it says, he was a part of the company of prophets, and this widow cries out to Elisha, the man of God, and she explains that the creditors of her husband are coming to take her two boys potentially into slavery if she can't pay her debt, if she can't find her way to make it clear and to deal with the husband's debt, her boys would be taken into slavery. You see, the loss of her husband had brought on tough circumstances and outstanding debts she could never pay. And the creditors were entitled under Mosaic law to take the debtor's son's And to put them to work in order to pay off the debt. And they could do this until the year of Jubilee or the seventh year where they would have to forgive the debt. So this is what this woman's facing. She's facing not only the loss now of her husband, but the loss of her sons who will be put into slavery in order to pay her husband's debt. Elisha asked her how, how he could help her. When he found out all she had was a small jar of olive oil, he gives her instruction. And we see the first miracle here In Elisha's ministry, go shut yourself in your house. Have your boys borrow the jars of the neighbors, begin to pour oil into the jars. Now, this is interesting. Elisha looks for what the woman has to use. He doesn't look for what she does not have. He doesn't say, go and harass your neighbors and see if you can borrow something significant off one of your neighbors. He just asks her, what is it that you have that perhaps God could use. And the miracle of multiplication in the story came from what the woman had that she was able to present to God. That's why over the last few weeks, we've been encouraging you to look at what you have in your hand. What is it that God has given you that you could use and offer to him and present to him and give him the opportunity to bring about increase and multiplication? Don't just look at your circumstances and decide that you have nothing, but look at what it is that you do have. And Elisha investigates, what is it that this widow does have? The widow's in crisis. She could lose everything. And she does what Elisha tells her to do. I love that about her. And miraculously, as she follows what Elisha has said, the jars fill until there are no jars left. When she ran out of jars, the oil stops pouring. A few things to notice. First, she went home and did what he said. 
that, that's important. Like she did what he said. She was obedient to what he said. And out of her obedience to what Elisha told her to do, she was not only able to pay her debt, she had some left over. In other words, she responded in faith. And miraculously, all Elisha said came to pass. The fact that she herself had to act in faith. This wasn't just Elisha's faith that she got to borrow. She had to activate her own faith. You see, Elisha wasn't present during the miracle. It doesn't say Elisha went home with her and helped in the miracle. He said, you go home, shut the door behind you. This is just down to you and your boys. It's up to you to activate your faith. Elisha's not even present in the midst of the miracle. And this is great because it enlarged her faith for the impossible to be made possible. She didn't just bring the man of God home and watch his faith activate the miracle. She went home on the word of the man of God and activated her own faith. And she saw the God of the impossible make it possible. That's pretty cool. And so her faith gets enlarged. What do you have in your hand that you could trust God with? So she offered complete obedience to the word of God through Elisha to get empty jars and begin to fill them. It's an amazing account of a stunning miracle. But you see, for me, it's also an incredible account of our amazing God. Because he is the God who is able to do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Elisha didn't say, get jars and fill them, and you'll have enough to pay your debt. But not only that, you'll have some left over. That's the God who is able to do measurably more than we could ever think. I think if the woman was crying out to God, she just wanted to pay her debt and keep her boys. I mean, wouldn't that be just enough? Wouldn't you be praising God if he came through and answered that? But there was enough for them to continue to live on. If we're willing to take the little we each have and trust God with it, then I believe with all my heart he is able to cause it to multiply and increase. And our part is take what we have even if it feels small, and give it to God and trust Him with it. I believe He can cause each of our lives through our faithfulness in our part to have greater influence and greater impact. And all we need to do is offer God our obedience in order for us to plant or grow our kingdom reach. As a church, it takes each of us giving what we have been given being obedient to God with it. And as we keep saying yes to him, as we keep offering God what it is that we have, God provides the miracle. We trust him. Just so I come to the end of my part, but it's not the end of the message because Julie is going to come and do the last part of the message, praise God. But I wanted to give you just a few snippets of some prophetic words. I did this on a Sunday night last year, but a few snippets of prophetic words that David and Greta Peters gave us as a church late last year. Now, they did not know at all what we were believing God for. Paul had told me, whenever the prophets come to town, don't tell them anything and see if they can pick up what God's saying, what's happening, and give us something that aligns with where we're heading. I think that's pretty wise. So they knew nothing at all about what we had planned as a church. And so here are some interesting thoughts. And I want you to hear these words and consider them through our giving on Multiply. And what we are believing God for. Here's the first part. The Lord wants to take you to new levels of his presence. To impart to you new, far bigger, expansive vision 
and to empower you to advance the kingdom of God in new ways. He's calling Life Church to walk in paths never traveled before. This requires a bold, daring, adventurous pioneer spirit. This requires a Caleb vision that sees God potential and a Caleb spirit that says we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Isaiah 54, 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your, your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. You are entering a season of enlargement, of expansion, and of influence. The lengthen and strengthen are important and key to success. The lengthen, keep humbly dependent on the Holy Spirit's leading to get the timing right and the tension right. It avoids lopsided partial collapse so that the tent holds firmly in its position. The strengthen, keep first things first, the fundamentals. Press in deeper to the essential foundations and core basics of faith and intimate relationship with the Lord. God has set many things in place. He has gifted you with so much. This is the church. Even in this time of transition, he has graced you. He has entrusted much to you. To those who are given much, much is expected. So use what he has given to you. Give away your best. Give personnel to the city and the nations. Give resource. Open your doors more to the community. Giving is no loss. Give and it will be given back to you running over. You are a generous church. Now the Lord calls you to be even more generous. Be conduits of his grace to the city and beyond. You are not called to be a local church, but a global church. All the earth is your parish, your field of labor. Think beyond yourselves. Stretch out. Plant out. Invest in other ministries that you can partner with. God is offering you influence beyond what you've ever known. This is a great gift and requires responsible stewardship. But you have a helper. This is the bit I hang on to. You have a helper who will grace you and guide you. Now, it's great to get the prophetic word. And it brings encouragement. It even brings alignment with some of the things we're saying. But it brings us to a place of prayer. God, if, if that's for our church, we want to pray and believe in you for the answer. But it also requires that the people of Life Church, every one of us, offer to God what it is that we have in obedience to Him and say, God, you, you are the one who brings the increase and the influence in Jesus' name. Julia, you're going to come. What an amazing prophetic word, right? Um, so I, I just want to share a little into that global church concept. Uh, so you would have, would have seen in our, in our Multiply Flies that there is a global component to what we're giving to this year. And so I want to share a little around, around that and what that looks like and the why and who we're giving to. Uh, so firstly, we've got Phil and Janet Bueller, who for the last seven years have been working over in South Sudan. Phil has been working with MAF, the Mission Aviation Fellowship, they have seen the base that he is running significantly increase in the work that they're doing. As the territory within South Sudan has become more and more hostile, as the roads have become more and more dangerous to travel on, what they do with the planes, what they are able to transport, the personnel, what they are able, the places they are able to go has become invaluable. The resources have significantly increased, the amount of aircraft they are responsible for, the amount of work that they are doing, the amount of people that they are reaching, 
preaching is dramatically increasing. And Phil has done a phenomenal job in some really testing um, circumstances. You have to remember in South Sudan and Juba, there is, there is not a whole lot of anything. And as Phil said when he was here, unless the call of God is upon you, it is an, Juba is an awful place to live. But the call of God is upon them, and so they have been faithful to reaching out to those people. And, and as you can see, they deliver... Um, medical supplies, they deliver personnel, the government officials, getting people to where they need to be so that God can be working in and through this nation. Janet has been working for Wycliffe and doing Bible translations. In August this year, they're going to complete another one. What that means is that another people group for the first time is going to be able to read the Word of God, to hear the story of Jesus, the amazing love story of God. They're going to be able to read it in their own heart language, their first language, in a language that they understand and is in their world. How amazing is that church? And it's something that we take for granted because we can do it every day in multiple translations. But for the first time, these people are going to have it. And this is the fifth one that they're going to be completing, which is amazing. But they've been there for um, seven years. And in amongst us, they have been, Janet has been pioneering new ways of engaging community, of engaging the people group to not only educational purposes, something that is healing them within, within their nation, but also giving them the word of God in that space. But she is, they've been pioneering something new and they have seen more ownership within the local communities, within the people groups than they've ever seen before but it is quite cutting edge. It has been testing. It has been trying. They've also been living in a nation that has been ravaged by civil war. They've been held up at gunpoint, continuously losing weight because every time they go home because of the, the food and stuff that's available to them. Uh, the stress and the pressure that has been upon them, they have, they have been amazing in living through but they've been there seven years now and and they're, they're still committed to this nation they still believe God has called them to it but they need some time to come home to be able to actually rest and refuel to be able to process some of the stuff that's happened to them to be able to train for the next season that they're going into and to be able to spend some time with their families here in New Zealand um so we're we're really sowing and investing into them because we want them to be able to have that time and space later on this year um because we believe in the long-term work that they're doing. We believe that we're going to see continued growth in the work in South Sudan. We believe that we're going to see people continue to come to faith. We believe that more people are going to receive, be able to receive the Word of God in their own heart language and see more ownership taken within those local communities. Isn't that amazing vision? As we want to see God work and move and restore that nation. We're also going to be giving to uh, the church in, in Mungtung Thani in Thailand, Bang, just north of Bangkok. Um, if you've ever been to Thailand, you'll see that all along the streets, there are these, these, these brightly colored uh, little houses. They kind of look like bird houses, but they're actually spirit houses. You go 100 meters in any direction, and you'll find anywhere between 1 and 20 of these things, because the Thai people are deeply spiritual people. They live so aware of the spiritual realm, but they've just never heard of Jesus. Do you know most Thais will be born, will live, and will die without knowing a Christian? They never no one to tell them and to love them and to tell them about the love of God. 
but the church over in Mong Tong has these people on their hearts. And, and they, are, they are not only reaching out to people, there are, there are so many people being baptized, there are people coming to faith, so many people that are journeying with. But the, Mung, the team at Mong Tong are also mentoring um, and pastoring other churches and leaders and raising them up. And so they, but there's not really many people to be able to pour into them. Um, being able to access resources, so many resources and leadership, um, you know, um, leadership resources are in English, right? And so unless they have that language, um, they can't, a lot of that stuff isn't accessible to them. And so they really value our input, having um, people who Paul and Carl to, in the team to be able to mentor them, to love and to care and to strengthen them and to have someone that they can go to. So we want to continue to be able to build into them so that they can build into the church in Thailand. We want to see their church resource so that it can um, that it has capacity for the growth for the people that are coming to faith in these places because they are seeing amazing things happen within this church. And we also want to partner with Nick and Emily Ling. They have recently moved with their little boy over to Ethiopia. Emily had the nation of Ethiopia placed on her heart by God at the age of nine. She then trained as a doctor um, and has been continuously preparing to go to this nation. And the people group that is on their heart is the Lake Tana people. It's a group of a couple of thousands uh, up towards the north of Ethiopia. And as they've traveled out there, they've seen God start to open their doors and, and to have amazing favor in places where people have gone before and have either been kicked out or killed. See, this people group isn't unreached because it's, um, you know, just no one's gone there. It's dangerous in this place. But also as well, this people group, they have a history within their, um, within their culture that they believe that their, their, like, their heritage traces back to a time with the Israelites. And that when Moses um, was crossing the Red Sea, he told them that they had to stay behind and they weren't allowed to enter the promised land. And they believe that from that time, they as a people group have been cursed, both now and in heaven, and for, uh, both on earth and for eternity. And so they live with a profound sense of hopelessness. And so from that time, they're one of the poorest people within people groups within Ethiopia. There are massive challenges within that. But don't we know that God is for them, that that is not the truth, that God has something for them. And, and this is the scripture that God placed on Nick and Emily's heart as they have given up everything. They have sold their business. They have sold their home. They have gone with their little boy to this nation because they so believe in the promise that God has for these people. And it's 1 Peter 2, 2 verse 9 that says, but you, are not like, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show the others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. You have received, once you had received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. They are believing for people to come to faith. This is also a Muslim people group. And at the time, even this very week, as they go up, they've been spent the last six months learning the language. They're now going to go up and they're believing that God is going to give dreams and visions as these people throughout a time of Ramadan are seeking an encounter with God. And they're, gonna, they're praying and believing that God is going to bring people of peace, that questions are going to be stirring in their heart. Isn't that amazing, church? And so we want to partner with them. 
Um, we're also, if you want to join with us in the 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world, we still have these available at the mission station. And next Friday night, we're joining with a bunch of churches around Christchurch. We're going to be praying that all across the world, that Muslims will be having visions of Jesus. And um, we're going to be praying specifically for the Lake Tana people and for Nick and Emily. So I'd encourage you to come and join with us. But we're believing that the God of the impossible will make it possible in that place, right? Because at the moment they are so hopeless, but we believe that God can place hope in their hearts, right? Because I want to tell you a little story. So something I learned um, last year about our history as a church. So do many of you know about the Mongolian Empire? If we put a graphic up, this is what the reach of the Mongolian Empire was. It went from a time from it went from Korea right up to Poland. And do you know what was amazing? In amongst us, the grandson of Genghis Khan, he ended up writing to the church and asking for a hundred teachers to come and teach them about the things of God. See, their hearts were open. God was working and they were searching. Look at the extent of that empire. If we look now, those are predominantly some of the most closed and hardest nations to get into with the gospel. And he said, would you send a hundred teachers to us? But do you know what the response of the church was? They didn't send anyone. Because they were so consumed by the military pressures on their own doorstep at the time that they couldn't lift their eyes and see further what God was doing. And so one man, 23 years later, went. And he saw fruit. He saw stuff happen. He saw favor by that time. The leader had passed away, though. And the biggest opportunity was missed. This has now gone down as the greatest missed opportunity in missional history. Why? Because the church missed what God was doing and couldn't look up from here to see what he was doing on a global scale. And see, our prayer church and our heart is that we won't be so consumed and hold on so tightly to what God has placed in our hands that we can't release it and allow him to flow through it and trust that he's going to work in and amongst everything that's here, but also allow us to be part of something that is so much greater than ourselves. Team, if you want to come back. See, I don't have much, but what I have I give to you. Take it all, Jesus. Take my life multiply it, all I am for your glory. Isn't that our prayer? Church, let's trust in a God of the impossible. Let's lift our eyes to see the missional opportunities that he can invite us to be part of. Let's see what we can partner with on a global scale and see a move of God in these nations because we can so believe for a move of God in Thailand, right? We can believe for a move of God in South Sudan. We can believe for a move of God in the Lake Tana people in Ethiopia. We can believe for a move of God in the people of Christchurch. We can believe for a move of God in the people of Selwyn. Because how big is our God? How abundant is His grace? 
He is a God of the impossible that makes it possible. And we wanna be faithful with what He's placed in our hands. We wanna be faithful to release it so that He can bless it and so that He can flow through it. Church, would you stand with us as we sing this again and ask that God would speak to us. Do we be a church that doesn't miss opportunities, but has a heart that is trusting, has a faith that is active,